Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, what's going on, champagne sharks? It's uh, Trevor Beaulieu. Hope everyone's doing well. And yeah, it's just me today. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about something. I invest in stocks and bonds and stuff like that, options. It's um, I'm not like a baller at it or anything. I just do it more as a, play, as a way to get, you know, some extra interest on my money outside of just sitting it in a savings account, you know, getting what little interest there is in there. I try to get some diversify the money that I do have. So it's just uh, something I do, but it's also just kind of a hobby too. It's a good way to educate and stay abreast of what's happening with the economy. And I, I just kind of find it fun to do. And I had been noticing something for a while and it kind of hit me very recently, something about our culture, about the time that we're living in. And it's something that took a while to build up from watching the stock market and how no matter how things how bad things would get the stock market would keep going up and there's a type of investor that I've come to call a buy the dip bot and what a buy the dip bot is is um it's just somebody who the first thing they hear about anything whenever a stock goes down um they never want to sell all they want to do is a dollar cost average. Uh, dollar cost averaging means that, um, say I have a stock for $10 and I have, I'm going to use really simple round numbers to make it really easy to understand. Say I have a $10 stock and 10 shares of it. So I have uh, 10 stocks for $100 total. And then say um, the stock drops to $5. Now, if I sell the stock now, I will have lost $50. But what some people will do instead is they'll be like, you know what? I think the stock is still going up. Rather than sell the stock and take a loss, um, I'm going to use this drop to my advantage. So they might buy 10 more shares at $5 a piece. So now they've gone from 10 shares for $100 total, meaning $10 a piece, to now they have 20 shares for 150 meaning each share is now $7.50 a piece. And what you do with dollar cost averaging is you use the drop in the stocks to lower the average price paid per share. So it takes actually less of a rise in the stock price to make you profitable. So uh, you just keep buying the shares at cheaper prices, just keep driving down your average price paid. And one thing I've noticed about this current um, mindset, this current economy, it's hard for stocks to go down because people just don't want to sell the average person compared to in the past. Like in the past, we know when bad news came out, people would just dive out, out of stocks head first, you know, like, like diving out of a sinking uh, 
ship. You know, they would just put their hands together over their head and jump out the window. And now it takes a lot to make people sell. People just hold on and they'll just keep dollar cost averaging and, you know, betting is going to go back up. And then the other thing is uh, buying the dip. That's like uh, people will be like, oh, a stock went down majorly. And the first thing they think is, um, oh, wait, that's a sale. Like nothing is ever oh, this means that this stock is going out of business or this might be the end of it. Everything to people now is just a sale. Like nothing is a warning not to buy. Everything is just, oh, uh, that stock is going for cheap now. It's a, it's a sale. But so they just buy the, buy the dip, you know, to hope to catch the rebound. And you can't totally blame people for it because since 2008, and there's a great documentary, it's uh, PBS Frontline, all about, the economy since um 2008 and let me give you the name of it it's really good it's really easy to follow you don't have to be some kind of um you don't have to be some kind of savvy investor or financial whiz to understand this it's really dumbed down and easy it's called the age of easy money it's a two-hour documentary it's available for free on youtube so i highly recommend that people check that out but uh, the age of easy money talks about how, you know, they flooded the economy with a lot of cheap money. You know, we talked about in the past in previous episodes, what I called zilch, which is zero interest loan cultural heaven. Like, you know, where um, we, have, we have this culture of just cheap money and the kind of um, art and culture and mindset and investing that comes from a culture like that, where loan, where interest are really, interest rates are really, really cheap. Standards to invest are really, really cheap. Um, money's easy to get. Credit cards are easy to get. The interest rates are low on everything, and just people go kind of bananas. And usually, the average cycle of bust and booms, I would say, is about seven years on average. But we've basically had an uninterrupted bull run since 2008. Like, uninterrupted 15 years of just uh, stock go up, money printer go, you know. Just printing money, lots of liquidity. The Fed is just turning the money printer on and flooding flooding the economy with cheap money. And businesses not really caring about being technically sound and profitable. Um, there's a very popular mode of doing business called blitzscaling. It's very popular with the tech companies. Uh, blitzscaling is when you just try to grow your company as fast as possible and get as much market share as possible. The official definition of blitzscaling is prioritizing speed over efficiency in an environment of uncertainty. That's that's one of the ones that I found here. But let me try another one. Here's how, here's how the Harvard Business Review describes it. Actually, let me find let me find a, let me see if Investopedia has one. I want to give several definitions of it. So okay, so blitzscaling is on. This is strategybusiness.com. Blitzscaling is what we call both the general framework and the specific techniques that allow companies to achieve massive scale at incredible speeds. Um, if you're growing at a rate that is so much faster than your competitors that it makes you feel uncomfortable, then hold on tight. You might be blitzscaling. Amazon's incredible growth in the late 1990s and up to today is a prime example of blitzscaling. And Amazon is the main model that everyone is chasing and hoping to replicate. 
1996, a pre-IPO Amazon Books had 151 employees and generated revenues of 5.1 million. By 1999, the now public, so that's only three years later, Amazon.com had grown to 7,600 employees and generated revenues of 1.64 billion. That's a 50-fold rise in staff and 322-fold rise in revenue in just three years. In 2017, Amazon had 541,900 employees and was forecast to generate revenues of $177 billion, up from $136 billion in 2016. Now, what that paragraph doesn't tell you is, for a lot of those years, Amazon wasn't actually profitable. It was just growing and growing and growing at all costs. The revenue was going up, but the profits, which is like revenue minus expenses, uh, wasn't there yet. But the plan is you just grow, 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 get market share, get name recognition, become a household name, undercut competitors, just get as big as you can. Then when you crush everybody else and get them out of the way, then, you know, you'll figure out how to make money later or you promise a way to monetize. And that's how everything makes money now. Uh, Profits, there's a lot of companies out there, especially post Silicon Valley, that don't need profits to grow. They don't need profits for the stock price to keep going up. Back in the days, like, you know, the PE ratio, revenues, net profits, that all mattered. Now it's like, all you need is a good story. Just give me a story as to why you're going to make the profits later and I will just buy. And basically the person with the best story, the stocks will um, go up. So there's so many overvalued companies. And the reason why I said I don't really fault the buy the dip bots for being the way that they are is because thanks to everything I described, all the easy money, the cheap money, low interest rates, uh, stock market companies that have no profits, but are all going up. Everything is just going to the moon. Buying the dip was actually a reasonable strategy for like 15 years. Like you can really buy the dip. Like you could be a dumbass and just live your life by buying the dip on big names. And a lot of times you'd be okay. I don't say it was a perfect strategy, but it was a way sounder strategy in the past 15 years than has been in any other era of our uh, history. So we have grown adult investors, people whose whole adult lives dealing with business, stock market, you know, after getting out of school into the real world, they have never lived in an era where there's been a real recession. They've never lived in the era where buy the dip didn't work. They've they've never seen that, you know? And I know technically it hasn't literally been a bull market since 2008. I know by the technical definitions, like the really strict technical definitions, there have been breaks in the bull market. So it's not really an uninterrupted bull market in the literal sense, but for the most part, it is. It's just like the, um, it catches a breather for a second that is off to the races again. For all intents and purposes, it's been um, just straight to the top. And blitzscaling itself is an example of what this epiphany was. Um, yeah, this this article I'm reading, by the way, about blitzscaling, it's saying it as like pretty good thing, you know? It's, it's saying like there is some bad points it gives in the article but for the most part you know it kind of makes it sound like a good thing a lot of people were aiming to blitz scale and people started doing it for stuff besides tech like we work was uh blitz scaling and we work is a perfect example of what you know i was going to talk about today and netflix was blitz scaling and then we work is real estate like they're not reinventing the wheel at all but they made themselves seem like a tech company instead of what they really were, which is just an office space company that 
it was something that already existed, you know, like uh, there was a, this company called Regis and a bunch of other ones did all the same things that WeWork does, but WeWork gave itself a hip Silicon Valley tech bro hipster kind of vibe, you know, had a lot of wooden table and mason jars and baristas and superficial tech. And they started getting tech company valuations and people just throwing insane money at it. And we, WeWork just went out of business. Uh, they went, they went, um, they defaulted on the debt and they filed bankruptcy. Who knows what's going to happen with them? Uh, another definition of bliss scaling is a growth strategy that prioritizes rapid scaling and market dominance. And, you know, blitz scaling has led to a crazy type of stock market. Like the past couple of years, it's the S&P 500, that's 500 stocks. It's been overall going great. It's uh, gone up, but what people don't know is 493 of the stocks have overall gone down. There's only seven stocks and those seven stocks have gone up so high. There's seven positive stocks for the past couple of years. And they've gone up so high, they've offset the other 493, 493, because they're so big and so dominant. And they're able to massage their numbers and be so overvalued. Like even the ones that are supposedly profitable to me are wildly overvalued. Like Apple has a $1 trillion plus valuation. And personally, I just do not believe that it is actually worth more than most countries, whole countries. Like I think, I mean, all um, all valuation is, is the amount of stocks that are outstanding times the price per stock. But what makes the stock price go up is the amount of activities. Like I've said this before, people think that's the way stocks go up is there's some kind of mathematical formula or something that, you know, the technicals of the company get translated into a stock price. But no, stocks go up for the same reason crypto goes up, because more people are buying them and selling them. They go down because more people are selling them than buying them. That's the only thing that makes a stock go up. Now, the difference between stock and crypto is that the stocks have figures and earnings reports and stories that people can tell themselves for why they're buying more than they're selling or selling more than they're buying. But even those are prone, they're basically prone to human error. You have to assume that most people are rational and are reading the numbers correctly. But with Blitzscaling and tech company logic and all this stuff, people will talk themselves into the most insane reasons to bet on a stock and a company. I mean, look at WeWork. If you you can't tell me that the way people threw money at WeWork and the way that stock went up and the way people just kept throwing more money at it and the type of valuations it had at some point, you can't tell me that that's any more logical than a bunch of people on a Reddit board saying that they're going to run up a Bitcoin or, or alternate coin crypto. It's it's the same thing. It's it's really not as different as you would like to believe. And one thing I like to tell people is that I think things like crypto and and those things, the main function, the main benefit they have to, you know, the ruling classes and the and the finance people and those people who are you know, making money off speculation and all this stuff, because that's all stocks are. Stocks are speculation. Just like what people think stocks are is not what they are. Stocks are speculation. Like uh, back in the day, stocks were something you bought to own a piece of the company and you used to buy them mainly to get the dividends. You know, if you invest in a bond and you invest in a bond to get the returns, you're investing. If you get invest in a stock and you do it to own a piece of the company and to get a share of the company's profits through dividends, dividend payments, you're investing. If you're buying anything 
on the hopes that it goes up in value so that you can in turn sell it and get the difference, then you are speculating. Like, yeah, so so if you're if you're buying stocks, I mean technically you're investing, but you're really speculating. Like 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 uh people don't buy stocks anymore to actually own the company and get dividends. People buy stocks now. Stocks are all about speculation now to the point that most companies don't even bother offering dividends anymore because they pretty much know that we live in a world of speculators. Now, why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this again, set the stage for what I realize is the dominating principle in our world right now, which is stall and hit a lick. We are living in stall and hit a lick culture. Now, for people who don't know slang, hitting a lick is like getting a big payday. I don't know if it originated in the black community because you know there's a lot of things where I, I always thought they were black slang and then you find out that it originated like in the black community like way before, like for example, the word get. You know, I always thought that was like a black hip hop slang. That I read some old books set in white LA and they were using it in those books. So I know it from the black community and hip hop and everything. Hit a lick. If it didn't originate there, it doesn't matter to the point that I'm making. But uh, the way it tended to be used in the streets is hit a lick usually is like um, you're going to rob somebody. Um, like, hey, they borrow some money when I, you know, pull off a score. If I, you know, do an armed robbery, if, if one of my scams comes through, if I, you know, get a bunch of money at once, um, I'm going to pay you back. But I mean, in a broad sense, Hitler doesn't have to be crime. I mean, Hitler could be anything. You could scratch some some lotto numbers and hit a lick. You can um, inherit some money. That's a form of hitting a lick. You know, like there's basically, it's not money like you can really, really bet on. But, you know, you might feel pretty sure it's coming. You know, uh, you have a good feeling about it. Like, like people don't really, really use hit a lick for like airtight square money. Like, you know, like if you have a, a, tr- a treasury bond and it's going to mature tomorrow, you know, it's going to mature tomorrow. Like that's like 100 percent guaranteed by, you know, the government money that's going to come in a certain time is regimented. There's rules to it. People don't really use hit a lick for that. Hit a lick is like more like uh, a little bit on the scheme side. And. I guess you to realize this whole country, this whole economy is just a giant mall. And it's a mall that runs on stall and hit a lick. We live in this world where people are just stalling and waiting to hit a lick. They're stalling, they're borrowing, they're spending, and they're waiting to hit a lick. They're not just stalling and, you know, holding on to their money tight and cutting costs and being responsible and cutting expenses. No, they're stalling and, and waiting to hit a lick. And in the meantime, they are living the same life they always live. They're spending or they might even be balling out of control. And our government is on some stall and hit a lick shit. You know, just the deficit is going crazy. They're spending money on Ukraine. They're spending money on um, they're spending money on Israel now. They're spending money on defense. They're spending money on all this stuff. Except student loans. For some reason, student loans is a bridge too far. And there's just this vague promise, you know, that they're issuing bonds, you know, to get more money. They're printing money, whatever. This is a vague promise that at some point, interest rates are going to go down. So- something good's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen, but the government's going to hit a lick somehow. You know, just keep stalling. Raise interest rates. Um, have the Fed come out every month and give a different speech. Keep issuing bonds. Moody's just downgraded American credit. And, you know, it's like, don't panic. Don't worry. Don't look at that. Look at this. And down to the person who 
is just holding on to stocks that are spiraling down and just throwing good money after bad in hopes that um, it does keep buying the dip is going to work and, you know, this stock price is going to go up. Like, that's another person who's stalling and hitting a lick. You know, one is just a random person who scours Wall Street bets and is on Robin Hood app. The other, the other is the American government. Like, it goes from the top to the bottom. Um, there, there's this recent scam that people in hip-hop culture, you know, mostly know about, but I think it's hit the mainstream. I think most people know about it. But there's DJ Envy from Power 105, the guy who's one of the hosts of The Breakfast Club, most powerful, popular um, morning show in America, I would say, right now. I think it has to be. I don't think it's just in the in black culture. I think it's pretty much, I mean, they get crazy views, all this um, attention. And he wanted to kind of be a boss. You know, I think he had Damon Dash on the show and I think Damon Dash got in his ear too much and kept uh, bad-mouthing him about being an employee and, you know, talking about no matter how much money he makes, he's going to have to answer to somebody and be a boss. And a couple of years later, he announced this is, you know, doing this real inve- real estate investment business. He got into it with this, um, he got into it with this uh felon and i don't want to say that disparagingly like you know there's a lot of people who have been felons who have turned their life around but you know he didn't really vet the guy that well but also he doesn't really have the street smarts to go into business with somebody with this guy's kind of felonious past you know but the guy's name was caesar pina and the guy just kind of turned it into a giant scheme he he pretended he was helping people invest in houses and everything and it was basically a giant ponzi scheme the old investors were getting paid off with money that came in from the new investors. And a lot of things are a Ponzi scheme right now. Like like banks are basically to a degree Ponzi schemes. We'll get into that later. This guy was just basically buying properties. I think I'm not even sure he was even it was it was like a house it was like a house flipping investment thing where you know you get people to go into it with you and do investments and then you pay them the investments that you know they give you the money and you you invest the money for them in real estate and then you pay them back with interest and if you look at the stories behind what was happening and you and you check on and you check on how it went down he was basically constantly stalling and putting people off or asking for the money then he scrounged together some new money from somebody then he'd pay off one of the old people a lot of times he could even pay them off in full and that would hold them off for a while and get them off his back some of the properties he didn't seem to even like really own or sometimes he did own one property, but he collected way more money than what the property was actually worth uh, from investors. So, and he used DJ Envy to um, promote the scam on his radio show because the guy, he didn't really have a good mouthpiece. Like he, like he, like he had a felonious nature. He had the, um, and plus I think he didn't want to put his face out there too much because he knew it was a scam. He let Envy throw himself out there, you know, Full fledged, like, like Envy was hammering it up. He really wanted to live that life, that role of a, of a mogul. Here's how it's described by the Justice Department. The Justice Department gave this gave this press release. New Jersey real estate investor and online influencer charged with multi million dollar investment fraud scheme for immediate re- release. U.S. Attorney's Office, District of New Jersey. The New Jersey real estate investor influencer was arrested today for committing a multi million dollar Ponzi like investment fraud scheme. U.S. Attorney Philip R. Sullinger announced. Cesar Umberto Pena, 45, of Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, is charged by complaint with one count of wire fraud. He appeared before U.S. Magistrate Judge Edwards S. Keel in Newark Federal Court and was released on $1 million 
dollars secured bonds with electronic monitoring. As alleged in the complaint, Pena exploited celebrity status and social media to develop a, a devoted following of potential victims. Promising returns that were too good to be true, Pena allegedly defrauded dozens of people of millions of dollars. Our office is committed to protecting the public from these schemes and prosecuting those who lie to investors for their own personal gain, end quote. That's from U.S. Attorney Philip R. Sullinger. The press release continues. Investment fraud is simply a crime of greed. U.S. Postal Inspector in charge Christopher A. Nielsen of the U.S. Postal Inspection Service Philadelphia Division said, in this case, C. Pena allegedly solicited dozens of individuals to provide him with millions of dollars to purchase and invest in residential properties. However, instead of sharing the profits, he defrauded his investors on a Ponzi scheme. Postal inspectors will continue to work with our law enforcement partners to combat financial fraud and protect the American people. Plain and simple, the defendant ran a fraudulent scheme. They falsely represented the nature of the business and lied about potential returns to bilk unsuspecting victims out of millions, Tammy Tomlin, special agent in charge of IRS criminal investigation, Newark Field Office said. Today's arrest highlights IRS criminal investigation and our law enforcement partners' commitment to investigating and prosecute unlawful behavior, end quote. Someone else, we allege Pena offered a ridiculously high rate of return to investors, then took the millions he got and invested it in himself, FBI Newark special agent in charge, James E. Dennehy said. History has proven time and time again Ponzi schemes don't work. The pot of gold at the end of the rainbow eventually runs out. Investors take note, it's your money, don't let them steal it, end quote. According to documents filed in this case and statements made in court, Pena partnered with a celebrity disc jockey and radio personality to conduct real estate seminars across the country. Through these seminars, self-promotional efforts, and other marketing strategies, Pena developed a significant social media following. Starting in 2017, Pena began accepting investments from victim investors for the alleged purchase, remodel, and sell specific real estate projects in New Jersey and other states. To induce his victims, Pena offered Prom, often promised 20 to 45% returns on investment within five months. But instead of using victims' investments as promised, Pena engaged in a Ponzi-like scheme by commingling victim money, using new victim investments to pay off prior victims, and spending victim funds on personal expenditures. The investigation has revealed that Pena defrauded dozens of investors of millions of dollars. The charge of wire fraud carries maximum penalty of 20 years in prison and a fine of $250,000 or twice the gross amount of any pecuniary gain that any person derived from the offense of any pecuniary loss sustained by any victims of the offense, whichever is the greatest, not whichever is the least, whichever is the greatest. So that's going to be a lot of money is going to be on the hook for. God knows where they're going to get it. But yeah, when you get into the details of it, and you look at the actual complaint, you get to, you know, really see element by element since 2017, what he was doing and how little he was spending on actual real estate. And the thing that's crazy was he wasn't like putting this away. He wasn't putting this away, you know, socking away for a college fund or, you know, or when he felt it was getting hot, like, okay, let me have a goal, buy like maybe one or two houses for myself with the scam money and then stop scamming and hope to hit that lick and then pay off everybody. Maybe no one will ever know that it was a scam. Like maybe like he was not only waiting for the lick, he was spending into the lick. He was stalling 
waiting to hit a lick, but the whole time he was balling out of control. Like there was this kind of idea of entitlement to a certain lifestyle. So he had two entities. One was Warehouse LLC, spelled W-H-A-I-R, not the usual way you spell warehouse. And that had a principal place of business in Wayne, New Jersey. It's the LLC. You know these LLC dudes. Then he had From Start to Flip LLC. The two is one word with two spelled with number two. And that was in Totowa, New Jersey. And then Starting in 2017, he started taking money from individual investors to purchase, remodel, and sell real estate projects in New Jersey and other states. And um, he, he entered the contracts with these victims that specified the purpose of the investment, the promised interest payments, and the time frame, the time frame for repayment. Like I said before, he commingled the money. He had dozens of victims, millions of dollars. And these, these are some of the things that he did. There was, he bought a project, he bought a a property on Manchester Avenue in Patterson, New Jersey for $140,000. That's in 2019. From around July 19 to about April 2023, he solicited and received investments from dozens of different victims for the purported purchase, renovation, and sale of this same property. He concealed from the victims, among other things, that he already solicited and got money from other victims for the same property. So as a result, he collected more than $5 million for a property that only costs 140000 So let's do the math on that. That's $5 million divided by 140000 So he collected about 36 times the money that he actually needed to buy the place um, for himself, for this, one, for this one property, you know? So there's, there's no way in hell that this 140000 property is going to generate enough money, no matter how much depreciation happens, that he's going to be able to pay off a fraction of this. Now, as part of the fraud, he entered into contracts with each of the victims, and each victim had similar lies in them. One victim signed a contract in October 22nd, in which um, the victim's company was supposed to make a contribution of about $200,000 to enter into a joint venture for this Manchester Avenue property that we mentioned. He bought it for 140000 in 2019. 2022, he collected $200,000 from, from one person for it, right? That's just one example. The contract stated that Pina would return the 200000 plus an interest payment of 60000 which is a 30% return on investment. He didn't tell the person that he already had mortgages and other loans on the property and had dozens of other individual investments for the same property. In or around December 2022, the same victim gave another, this is another 200,000? Oh no, I think the same 200,000. They agreed to give in October. He gave in 200,000. July 2023, he sells the same property, the one that he got for 140,000. He sells it for 550,000. So he, $410,000 profit that he got. And to this day, he has not given any of the people their money for that investment, uh, for that person, for that for that one investment. On November 14, 2018, he used his company to buy a property located on Park Avenue in Patterson, New Jersey for approximately $225,000. Then from about 2021 in January to March 2023, he started soliciting investments from over a dozen people for the purchase, renovation, and sale of this property, one that he already owns. So he already owns this thing and he's soliciting money to buy a property he already owns. Again, he concealed 
from the victims that he already uh, owned the property and was paying a mortgage on it and received money from other people. Now, this one, he got a bunch of money from people on, including that same victim from the first one, also invested in this one. So, so he hit him up for uh, two scams, an additional 100000 and then promised him 35000 in interest, you know, so 35% return on investment. The victim gave additional 100000 to invest in property too. And then that victim and other victims never got their money back from their investments in property too. South Boyden property. This is in Mapleburg, New Jersey on South Boyden Parkway. December 2020, he um, bought a property there for 409500 November 2020 to April 2023, he starts soliciting and receiving investments from over two dozen victims to purchase, renovate, and sell that one. That time, he gets about $5 million total, you know, from from the victims. So by my count, how many how many millions does he have by now? He has a, over ten million by now, and it keeps um, going up. Now in this one, he repaid one of the victims a small portion of their investment because this one kept pestering him. Like if you pestered him enough, you know he would give you some money to um, pay you back. But a lot of people were pestering him and getting nothing, which makes me think he was blowing a lot of that money. Because with all those millions you have, you shouldn't have been stringing along as many people as you were stringing along. Like, of course, you can't pay back everybody. It's impossible. You just can't do it. But, I mean, the things people were asking for were some paltry sums that he wasn't giving them. So, I know some of this money was used to buy the future scam properties, but even the future scam properties were only a couple hundred thousand apiece. There was no reason why uh, he shouldn't be able to have paid back more people than uh, he paid back. And it wasn't just that he was greedy, but he just kept, at one point he's in a hole. And you would think, okay, you can stop, you can stop scamming harder or at least keep scamming, but try to wind it down. Like, you know, and pay off as many people as you can with the new money you have and, you know, shrink the hole that you're in. But um, it was just stall and hit a lick. And that's pretty much everything these days like we work was just you know keep stalling and keep hitting a lick that adam newman guy but uh, his attitude was basically in that case the victim is the venture capitalist the vc firm like you know he just keeps stalling make up stories about you know why you deserve your valuation and just keep getting more money from the mark and the problem with these people with the stall and hit a lick strategy is when they hit a lick instead of paying off people or trying to like uh lessen the hole they're in they just try to stall and hit a bigger lick you know like like um no lick is big enough to ever stop so you know at some point you know you could have big enough lick where you're like you know what i should stop here and just try to run a legitimate business or try to um see what kind of hole i could dig myself in and these people don't save money they spend extravagantly they just keep and at some point you have to wonder what type of remaining lick do they think is out there that's going to eventually bail them out of all this. And this is this weird kind of delusional, magical thinking, but I think that's how everybody thinks now, uh, just on different scales. Like the person who keeps, you see somebody who keeps spending on their credit card and they're not lessening their lifestyle or spending. They just keep hoping. This is some everyday stall and hit a lick action that's happening. They just keep spending and they just keep spending. And they don't want to lower their expenses in a major way 
but they just keep hoping like, okay, I'm going to get a new job soon. I have a raise coming. We're going to sell some properties soon. We'll get some money. Or something happens, against all odds, they do hit a lick and they're able to pay off stuff. And then they end up running it back up higher than it was before. Or they um, throw the money into something or they don't pay off the the debt at all. They they um, bet on crypto. You know, they're like, oh, let me just do a big bet on, on this crypto and hit a lick like that. And now that I got this money instead of, and that'll be like a super lick. Like, um, so instead of taking the money that they have and paying off the credit card, they try to take that money and hit a lick with that money that will pay off the previous debt that they presumably wanted that first lick um, for. If it doesn't pan off, now they have two holes that they need to get themselves out of using a lick. And I was watching a Joe Button podcast and one of the guys had a good turn of phrase that I, I liked that he was saying that um, Cesar Pena dug himself into such a hole consistently trying to stall and hit a lick that he reached a point where he was going to need a whale tongue of lick. You know, like the lick he was going to need to hit was going to have to be um, a lick that's done with the size of a whale of a whale tongue or a whale tongue of a lick. And I thought that was a clever turn of a phrase. That was a bar. Yeah. So, I mean, there's more examples of senior Pena's fraud, but I mean, you get the point of, of what was happening, you know, and I don't think Envy was really in on the scheme. I don't think Envy really knew I think Envy just wanted to be the man. And he, um, and these guys kind of, I think in his own way, he was kind of a sucker. Like, like he, he's not a guy with street smarts. You know, his father's a cop. He went to Catholic high school. He's from Queens. He's a pretty square dude. And he was trying to go into business with um, these street guys. And, you know, he does hip hop DJing. You know, he comes out and goes, this is DJ Envy. Yo, yo, you know, he's, He's in that like hip hop world, but he's not like an actual like street dude. He doesn't really have like a street smarts, you know. But he was appearing with Cesar Pena. He's doing a yo yo yo. He's got the hip hop gear on. They're both doing like you know uh, seminars. Cesar Pena's is staying mad quiet in the back, and DJ Envy's doing all the selling and everything. And but you know this guy was in prison uh, for credit card fraud and uh, you know drug related crimes, you know. So. He's been in the fraud game before, and I'm not saying like uh, felons and convicts shouldn't get a second chance, but I mean, you're going into real estate business with someone whose particular crime was financial fraud. I'm not saying that you should never trust a felon, but you got to do your due diligence. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't just blindly trust people. Yeah. So DJ Envy is not named. DJ Envy is not named in the complaint. I don't think people feel like he was actually in on the scam, but he was very uh, negligent. But, you know, Power 105 has 8 million listeners. On Instagram, he has 2.2 million uh, followers. So he did a lot to help herd people over to um, his scheme, you know? And this is what he said. He said he wanted the seminars to, quote, unquote, uplift my community and teach others about real estate. But I mean, you clearly didn't know about real estate yourself because you weren't checking. Like, you, you can check what people own. You know, it's, it's public records. So, so he goes, so I did these seminars and brought industry professionals to all these seminars, whether it was real estate agents from different markets, contractors, money lenders. I even brought auction.com to actually show people how to purchase houses online. DJ Envy said on the October 11th show. Now, Caesar, if he took the money, I wasn't privy to it, nor did I even know. But I do understand how people feel if they did give him the money because I gave him a lot of money that I didn't see a dollar of return. 
but it's like you can't steer a bunch of people to this guy and just say, hey, well, hey, I didn't know. Like you were people trust you. You're um betting him. The thing that I just thought was very thing that this guy was doing that was, was really interesting. Like he was doing stuff like in the Daily Beast, they have an article where they give actual accounts from the victims and the victims were saying stuff like i went to give him money for the um check this out i'm gonna say this right i'm gonna say this i was just gonna, gonna read it verbatim uh there's a guy named last name was acosta a 31 year old executive administrative assistant uh told daily beast he, he went to the seminar after hearing the promotions as a daily listener of the breakfast club he said that he wasn't too impressed with the lengthy event saying it was more of a hype than a trove of new information so he said there was no actual real information at the event but he said he still believed that, that the speakers knew what they were talking about so he gave his information to one of pina's associates and expressed interest in partnering on a future investment opportunity pina reached out a few weeks later inviting him to an in-person meeting at his new jersey office before the meeting pina sent Acosta contract to invest 150000 in local property, predicting he would receive at least 45000 back after just five months after when the property sold. And that's another thing with part of this culture too, this idea that, that um, you can get something for nothing or something for very little, that you can you know, get rich quick. Um, although DJ Envy was not present at this meeting, plaintiff was led to believe by Caesar that DJ Envy was involved as a partner in his real estate business and further that the property was subject to plaintiff's joint venture was one of their partnership properties. Um, the complaint added that Acosta would not have invested in the joint venture, but for his belief that DJ Envy was involved as a partner in the enterprise. So he, this guy, Pena, is making it seem like Envy was investing the money with him as a uh, co-partner. Was Envy was more just helping him with the seminars and, and was uh, basically just being his hype man in exchange for, I guess, some money. I don't know. But also, it seems like Envy was investing with Pena himself and maybe he didn't get his own money back. So um, anyway, Acosta said he was wary of the contract and had a lawyer revise it. After some back and forth, Acosta agreed to meet Pena at his office again on March 9th, 2022 to complete the deal. He brought 150000 in cash. And you know, it's funny. This guy is doing business on the up and up. So he has his own lawyer, check the contract and revise it. And you know, this Pena guy, he doesn't care what you have your lawyer do to the contract because he's not planning to honor it anyway. He can put anything on it. You know, like, what does he care? Whatever you got to put on that contract for you to give up the, give up the money, you know, he, he's going to agree to. He may put up a little bit of a fight back and forth just not to make it look too easy. But I may feel bad for this guy because he, you know, this was his life savings. He says, it was money I saved it for my job, money I got for my wedding, from selling sneakers on the side, Acosta said. It was my life savings, but I believed that this was a safe deal. The first red flag came the minute Pena took the money. I gave him the $150,000 and I asked him if he wanted to count the money. First of all, that's crazy. That means he gave it like in cash. He said no. So he didn't even count the money when um, he got it. Hmm. I'm interested where he got that money. Like why was it in cash? But I, I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Bernie Madoff was another stall, spin, spend, stall, spin, spend, stall, spin, spend. And eventually hope to hit a lick type of people. And I think after a while, I mean, these people kind of realize there's there's no lick big enough for them uh, to hit. But at that point, you know, what what can what can they do? I think you know America kind of realizes that itself with its own deficit and its own problems. But um, yeah, this is how the whole economy works now. It's how the whole country works. And you know, go to go back to what I was saying before. Um, I think the stock market keeps going up keeps doing what it's doing because people just keep doubling down it's 
takes a lot to make people sell stocks. Everyone's chasing, trying to hit a lick. You know, all those cryptocurrencies that are happening uh, the past couple of years, any type of half-assed coin that anybody was offering, no matter how shady the person, people are rushing to get in on it. Because people just hope to hit a lick. They feel entitled to a lick now. Yeah, people put their life savings and all types of stuff and just... Now, everyone you know has been hitting licks. They've seen people on TV who did stupid things like, you know, put a bunch of money in, in, in crypto that they knew nothing about. The Wall Street bets guys, remember the, those meme stocks? And if you're making money the square way, doing the so-called responsible stuff, working a square job, putting it in a savings account, putting it in bonds and your 401k, you, know, you start feeling stupid after a while. You know, you start feeling like a sucker. So you try to hit a lick too, and then you get, in a hole and you just um keep doubling down and hoping that you know the first lick didn't work but now hopefully you get a second lick to pull you out of the hole of your first lick and it's a top to bottom all levels all genders way of living just do what you got to do now to try to get a lick borrow what you got to borrow make whatever promises you have to make if that first lick doesn't work out just stall and borrow and keep the creditors at bay keep people at bay hold on and you know try to figure out the second lick that i'll bail you out the first lick you know and but in the meantime don't stop living your lifestyle don't stop showing off because you have this custom this you have to keep up with the joneses you have the standard of living that you expect and you're entitled to that too so right now inflation has been going crazy and people are feeling it there's a lot of things if you look at the stats that will um even though i think that we should be having a recession you know we have seven big stocks that are outweighing the 493 and keeping the stock market rising. And they're all basically run on the corporate level of scam and hit a lick, you know, because corporations uh, scam, stall, and wait to hit a lick as well. Uh, in their case, the lick is like, you know, profits or future revenue, you know, and they'll stall by announcing layoffs, announcing buybacks, massaging numbers and in, uh, investor reports and phrasing things in misleading ways selling people pipes and pipe in the dream whatever but yeah getting venture capital to give a fresh round of investing that's another lick that you can hit and then you can pay off some of your old investors or debtors or people breathing down your back you know keep the shareholders happy and then um you know hide the fact that you still have no idea how you're gonna make a profit but sam bankman freed another example but i think in general like the the um COVID era, I think, was when it really, really exploded, when the stall and hit a lick mindset really just trickled down to the average human being, where everyone was just in on it. You know, like um, when everyone got into Bitcoin, when the PPP loans happened, everyone just took out PPP loans and just bought shit with it. And the worst thing is, a lot of those loans got forgiven. And I think that really emboldened a lot of people. Like people were like, oh shit, I actually got away with it, you know? And People saw other people get away with it. I think a lot of people saw other people PPP scamming. And they were like, you know, where's where's my come up? Where's where's my uh, get rich quick scheme? And we see it normalized in every stage of life. We see like, you know, whole companies that people admire and are like, you know, the biggest companies on earth. And they basically were just borrowing, 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 spending, 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 growing, 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 pretending that they were bigger than they were until, you know, like fake it till you make it like. Fake it till you make it is some of our 
biggest corporate success stories, some of our biggest, we have a fake it till you make it country. You know, this whole country is a fake it till you make it country. Just walked big until, you know, it actually became as big as it pretended. Uh, but whew, there's just so many. I've been catching up on all these scams that have just happened the past couple of years. And if you ever really think about them, just how many, I mean, there's just one of the most popular one of the most popular YouTube channels now, biggest success, is this YouTuber called CoffeeZilla. And CoffeeZilla has a ton of knockoff sites. And they're all just people covering online scammers. Um, and one, one person he recently covered was this guy, Patrick Bet David. And he was like a pyramid scheme guy, it turns out. But he called himself Valuetainment. And yeah, this guy I thought was like a real businessman who actually did a bunch of great investing. And that's how he got rich. But uh, no, he did a he did a stall and hit a lick thing. He did, he was a pyramid scheme guy. And now the guy's appearing on Logan and talking like he's a investment guru. You know what I mean? Um, Logan Paul had a had a scam. There was the Safe Moon, which is a crypto. That was a scam. But it, just the fact that like so many people can make hugely profitable popular youtube channels where they do nothing but cover recent scams or current scams and are in no means seeming anywhere close to uh running out of targets to talk about i've been looking at so many people doing this there was one woman that i recently learned about she was pretending to be a very successful real estate investor she pretended to own 50 air and airbnbs and she was doing um fraud she had eight businesses and she also ran a credit repair business she made millions in uh so she she had all this stuff happening and then okay here we go this one woman is called ashley grayson that's one of them she's a different one the first person i'm talking about but let me start with her so this lady is ashley grayson she made millions in fake credit repair then she ordered three hits on people i guess they were going to expose her there was a TikTok doctor who lost her medical license due to uh, scammy BBLs. There was... It's hard to keep track of all these scams. There were so many. Let me get this Ashley Grayson person up. But it's just crazy how many of these people have been scamming on the internet. The internet has given people... I think it's fed people the images of everyone else seeming to live crazy, you know, with the social media and all this stuff. You're not just keeping up with the people in your neighborhood or whatever. You're keeping up with people in your phone, and these people are all lying themselves, and they're all scamming. So all these people were scammers. They would all be putting stuff on the internet and social media, showing their cars, their success, their flossing, and all this stuff. And then all these people would see them, feel bad about themselves, and they would scam to keep up with these people. Content creator and entrepreneur Ashley Grayson, formerly Ashley Massengill, is facing RICO charges of racketeering and murder alongside her husband, Joshua Grayson. Content creator and entrepreneur widely known after claiming to have made one million within 40 minutes to her online platform digital course recipe there's always these crazy claims of how much money you can make from these people which should be the first red flag but uh several tiktok users accused her of scamming people through her online courses last year she claimed grayson and her husband took off for her money which she paid for one of her 2000 online courses $2,000 online courses. She claimed Grayson's self-made millionaire claims were fraudulent and that she re received a massive payout after losing her finger in a work accident. So that's a perfect accident right there. That's a perfect example right there. This woman lost her finger in an accident. So she hit a lick. Now she's going to use that lick to pay off her house, 
pay off any credit card that she had or whatever, you know, got really lucky. She got that lick, but what did she do? She used that million dollars, lied about how she got it to pretend that she was a big shot, starts an online influencing thing and uses that million dollars to probably buy a lot of extravagant stuff to show off and then created this online business using her fancy stuff to be like, hey, look how rich and successful I am. And you'll find that about a lot of these people. They will lie about how they even get the first lick and then uh, use the money from that lick and the image that they're able to curate and buy from that lick to, you know, keep hitting other licks. And there's no type of logic to it. There's no scale. There's just this kind of delusional thinking that, you know, I can just borrow, steal, uh, promise, whatever, and I'll worry about it later. In the meantime, let me just spend like a drunken um, sailor. And then um, one of the people who was um, complaining started posting derogatory comments about complaining about it. And then Grayson and her husband attempted to hire a hit on one of the victims. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, that's the way I understand it. I'm, I'm skimming the articles. So I might be getting some details details wrong. But yeah, these, these stories keep coming out um, all the time. These people doing all these all these crazy these crazy scams so this lady this other lady who was who had all those homes okay so that ashley lady she made millions in fake credit repair and fake courses and then tried to get somebody killed it might have been out of jealousy or something it might not even be someone that she scammed but uh it seems to be somebody she might have actually been been jealous of which is even crazier it's like this other woman had some massive Airbnb fraud, but she pretended to own more Airbnbs than she did. Turns out she was renting all of them. Then doing Airbnbs out of the product, the property she was renting and pocketing the spread, but she was making it seem like she had enough money to actually buy all these properties. And then she was using like um, all these things to just kind of uh, scam. There was a guy, Jay Morrison. He was another one. Like, you know, you can think and think and think and you can come up with a ton of examples from the COVID PPP era. It was a real epidemic. It made absolutely no sense, but you know, people were just hooked on scamming. It was an, it was an epidemic. And then this woman was being all over YouTube. She was all over YouTube, social media, bragging about how how well she did. You know, letting people think she was doing much better than she actually did. You know, showing off all her fancy stuff and. Yeah, people were people were going for it. You know, th- that's one of the things that the flossing helps with as well. In addition, to like you know, them just wasting this money to buy nice things and show off. They need the stuff they buy with this with the money they scam off you to fool you into thinking that they're so successful and get that image so that you will go and invest too. And like you're more likely investing with somebody who's moderately dressed but can give you all the paperwork you need and survive the due diligence background check. But a lot of people will, if they, if the front looks nice enough, they won't bother looking at the back. You know, if, if the, the front of the, if the front of the, the, the house is freshly painted and they won't even walk around the back of the house and see that's actually like a rundown, sh- a rundown shack, you know? If Tiffany Salome, investors who sank a hundred thousand dollars into real estate airbnb programs accused well-known jacksonville entrepreneur of fraud and let me just uh play it right now 
Now to a news for Jack's I-Team investigation into a well-known Jacksonville entrepreneur accused of fraud, prompting her investors to file lawsuits with claims of bad business practices by her investors. Janae White is the CEO of eight different companies in Jacksonville, including the J. White Business Center, which offers credit repair services and credit education courses to customers. She's also CEO of J. White Enterprises, Luigi's Concrete & More, J. White Marketing Incorporated, J. White Construction Incorporated, J. White Properties & More, J. White Institute, and Free Game by J. White. The Attorney General, the office has confirmed, has received multiple fraud complaints against some of her businesses. Consumer investigator Tiffany Salome talked with three different people who invested a combined $100,000. Tiffany Salome is the actual reporter, not, not the scammer, that's by mistake. The business relationship, and then I did the mentorship program, and like I said, she has a very infectious personality. Raven Griffin met Janae White in 2021 after enrolling in her business credit program. So we went to each other's birthday parties. She met my family. Like, it was a very commingled relationship. So it was really crazy how everything played out. So you trusted her? Yes. Griffin says Janae White broke her trust shortly after she gave her $10,000 as a silent investor. So over three programs with her, I spent over $22,000. And the mentorship program itself, over $10,000. And then on top of the legal fees, that spent over $7,000 and counting. The contract promises investors to locate and purchase a property, renovate and sell it. Raven, as the investor, would get 70% of the profits at the time of sale. But there's one small problem. Griffin says she never got an investment property, and those she did see... And a lot of the properties that we end up seeing were not first-time flipper-friendly. They were completely dilapidated from termite infestations to having issues with galvanized piping, roofing situations, like permit-pulling type of things. Nine months later... I realized all of the things that we agreed to in our initial contract were not going to be able to be done. And that's when you got a lawyer? Yes. This is an intentional fraud to the scheme, or this is an over-committing or... Um, you know, overzealous representation of capacity. Chris Dempsey is Raven's attorney. He says dozens of others have lost their money as well. It's a mess. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. Dempsey says there's a potential for a class action lawsuit with two possible schemes at work, a real estate mentorship program and an Airbnb investment program. We talked with Buddy Wilson and Andre Romano, who both invested money into what was advertised as a short-term investment opportunity. Contracts show they paid a one-time administrative and setup fee of $7,000 to Janae White for a turnkey Airbnb property. Monthly rent and other fees would be deducted from their profits. Both tell me they were promised profits of $1,000 or more each month for each Airbnb unit they invested in. How many units total did you invest in and how much money total? Eight units total, uh, $56,000. And how much money were you hoping to profit off of that investment? Um, somewhere around doubling my money. How many did you secure? Um, I was able to secure about three properties. Um, however, um, none of the properties were actually um, existent to my, like, in my opinion. Romano and Wilson both say they received monthly profit and loss statements from their short-term investment properties, telling the I-team they started... Now, 
If you notice, as usual, there are a bunch of crazy promises of returns, like double your money. Like, do you know how hard it is? If you follow the best investors on the planet, they're just happy if they can beat inflation a lot of times or if they can beat how the S&P or the Dow Jones rose. You know what I mean? Like, um, it takes a surprisingly low percent return to be considered a successful investor. If it was that easy to get 45%, 35%, or in this guy's case, double your money, you know how many people would be doing it? Like, they would be the most insanely popular investors on the earth. Like, as far as being uh, investment companies, it wouldn't be somebody operating out of a small strip mall or doing these cheesy seminars. Like, they would be the biggest financial wizard on earth. Like, in some crazy bubble economies, sometimes, like, um, extravagant returns do happen. But that's, in a way, this could sound a little bit weird, but there's a way in which when you believe you can get something for nothing or something for little, get rich quick, quick, there's a way in which you're scamming yourself. I mean, literally scamming yourself. Like, there's a type of dishonesty that you tell yourself when you talk yourself into believing those things. Like, it's not a dishonesty where you're fooling, you know, someone in a legal way or you're actually robbing them. But in a way, you are robbing somebody. There's no way to honestly make money that fast. Even if the scam is on the laws of nature. People think of scams as just, you know, literally like illegal or whatever. But there's like a, a spectrum of scamminess. There's like scamish, where it's you're not doing anything prosecutable, but you're believing you can pull one over on something abstract. Like you're scamming the, the natural laws of hard work. Because people who do get rich quick schemes or they find ways to get rich with very little effort. The reason why I say there's something scamming the energy of that is because how do those people like that always look at people who are making money in a slow and steady way, you know? They always think, man, that guy's a sucker. Like, you know, uh, he's working a square job. He doesn't know about this. And the reason why you think that guy's a sucker is because you know on some level, you're cheating the system somehow, you know? Uh, you're finding a loophole. You're, like, it's not technically this dishonest, you know? Like, if you pick a bunch of crypto and it goes up, like, 800-fold, you may not have actually scammed anybody, but you're in something kind of scammy, you know? Like, um, you're in something that's kind of not respecting the natural laws. And you feel it in a way. Again, that's what people always talk about people who don't do get rich quick schemes, people who successfully pull off rich quick give screen, they think of them as um suckers because they do feel like they're getting something for nothing. And the reason I bring this up is not to victim blame. I don't want to say these people deserve it because they had dishonest energy. That's the word that I want to look for. There's a scammy energy to getting rich quick. You know, even if you're drawing the line at literally scamming, it has a scamish energy. And the reason I bring that up is not to victim blame, but there was a popular con man from back in the day. His name was Yellow Kid Wheel. I read his book when I was young. It was very interesting. I was really into like con men. I used to watch con man movies and I used to like those movies where they had to pull a score, you know, you know, like, um, this thing in those type of movies. And I started reading about con men. It's a pretty good book. It's, it's his autobiographies, Yellow Kid Wheel. 
the the autobiography of America's master swindler. And the guy is he was born in 1875 and died in 1976. He was one of the best known con men of his of his era, and he's interesting. He's interesting to read about. But oh, this is, this is an interesting con. He swindled Italian dictator Benito Mussolini out of two million dollars. He uh, sold talking dogs, sold land he didn't have. He did, he did all this stuff. He had this phrase that you can't scam an honest man. And he insisted that nobody he scammed was ever honest because he believed that you can't scam somebody somebody honest. And the way he put it was that the people he scammed, they were always looking for a shortcut or some way to get over on some some hard work. You know, I'm going to find this exact quote because the exact quote is pretty, is pretty good. He said, I never cheated an honest man, only rascals. They may have been respectable, but they were never any good. They wanted something for nothing. I gave them nothing for something. I'm going to repeat that again. I never cheated an honest man. They may have been respectable, but they were never any good. They wanted something for nothing. I gave them nothing for something. And what he was talking about there, he didn't say that they were crooks or they were, you know, con men themselves in the literal sense that he was. They weren't doing anything illegal, but they wanted something for nothing. And that's not an honest way to live. And that's why these people tend in these stories to always fall prey to some outrageous promise. You know what I mean? An honest person isn't going to trust it. Like something funny has to be going on for that kind of return to to happen. You know, so something something weird something weird is happening. I don't trust that. There's so many examples. I'm gonna come up with some with some more. But before we go to the other examples, when you talk about people spending, it's always people being extravagant and uh, trying to buy fancy things and all these cars and clothes at the mall and stuff like that. And a lot of that does exist. But I, I, I want to be clear, too. I think a lot of people are just spending for like the bare basic minimum to have a something of a happy life. Like, I know a lot of people talk about millennials and they you know, can't save money because of avocado toast and all that dumb stuff. But I think a lot of them realize, hey, our money is not going to be enough to buy a house. I don't think we're going to be able to start a family. It's not looking possible. I don't know how I'm going to do anything. I don't know how I'm going to pay off these loans. So it's like their salaries aren't keeping up with inflation. It's not keeping up with the rise in home prices, the the cost of living and all that stuff. Uh, they're not getting raises fast enough. They're saddled with all this debt that's basically the size of a small mortgage all already. So I think telling people like that, hey, just cut what little you do, you know, just cut that cup of coffee that, you know, you get to go have every day, you know, for like $4 and, you know, you sit outside, at least you get some social life with people. You get to talk and see people and get some sun, some vitamin D, you know, don't go out and socialize and drink with your friends or whatever. It's like, I get it. It's tough to tell people who already don't see a lot of prospects, who don't really see a way out, you know, for that they sacrifice enough to tell them, okay, on top of that, I don't want you to buy anything nice at the supermarket. I don't want you to go out. It's okay, how, how are you going to even get a boyfriend or find someone to marry, you know, if you don't actually go out and meet people? Like, you know, how much more can you ask people to give up? Like, they're already working all day long or they have more than one job. 
what they're making is not going to be enough to put toward a house or whatever. At least those little things, you know, those little extravagances like the avocado toast. I'm using extravagance uh, facetiously. You know, avocado toast, the the nights out drinking or, you know, the nice gym membership or whatever. At least those things kind of help keep them sane, you know. But I think there's a lot of people in that position. And when your salary is not even enough to keep even a decent uh, quality of life for yourself, that's another way you get kind of forced into needing to hit a lick. Like you might not even be scamming anybody. You might not even be out there originally setting out to get rich quick or get something for nothing. But you might just be in a position where it's like you're in a hole just because of how society is set up right now, especially for young people and what boomers and Gen Xers saddled young people with, you know? I think a lot of people are being kind of born into needing to adopt a hit a lick mindset, a stall and hit a lick mindset. You know what I mean? They may not even be uh, particularly uh, greedy. I think there's a lot of people out there, and I think that's important to throw out there as well in, in light of everything else that, that we're saying, that uh, it's not all just, bad or dishonest or flashy or greedy people who are doing this. I think, in fact, it's probably a majority is probably people like what, what I described. Right now, right, I had made a bet in the stock market a while ago that the stock market was going to tank because, you know, I just was like, people are losing jobs. Inflation's going up. All this stuff is um, happening. Uh, inflation is crazy. Interest rates are crazy. People... The real estate is crazy. People are living check to check. I think the stock market's going to go down. But I didn't think about stall and hit a lick culture. And I didn't take into account that people were going to do everything they could to keep spending. And I don't know if you all know this, but the credit card rate right now is about $1.1 trillion at the time of this uh, recording. People have been running up their credit cards to an all-time high. So right now, there is $1 trillion plus credit card outstanding debt. To be exact, is credit card balances spiked in the third quarter to a $1.08 trillion record. Now, in quarter one of 2021, credit cards were at $770 billion. So 2021, during COVID, PPP, all that stuff, uh, it was $770 billion and it went up basically about a quarter of a billion in about a year and a half. So that's crazy. It went up about 33%. So people just spent to make up for their hard times. So that's one of the reasons why the stock market kept going up because people kept buying. Like no matter what people were going through, no matter what they were going through, they were able to keep spending. Now, I've talked to some people who were very bullish about the economy and, and you know, trying to tell me that everything was going well. And they told me stuff like, oh, people were spending, people were doing more credit card spending because they were making more. So when people are more confident that they can pay money back, they'll borrow money more. But if that's the truth, then why are delinquencies uh, rising to all-time highs as well? Like basically, uh, debt delinquencies in every category, except for, I think, one have been have been going up. Credit card delinquency rates and balances are on the rise. I think auto loans, delinquencies are at an all-time high uh, since the time that they started recording them in 19, 1990s. There was only one category. I think it was mortgage loan delinquencies that might have been the only ones not. So 
Here we go. Credit card debt rises to 1.8 trillion. Auto loan balances increased by 13 billion to 1.6 trillion. The share of credit card and auto loan debt transitioning into serious delinquency increased to 5.8% for um, credit cards and 2.5 for auto. And for the auto, that's an all-time that's an all-time high. Yeah, so there there's a lot, a lot, a lot of delinquencies happening out there. And the thing that's crazy is as high as that credit card rate is, it's still not a majority of the available credit card balances out there. I think people are only using, basically at this point, people are using less than half of their available credit, which means they have a long time left to keep stalling and spending and hoping uh, to, to hit a lick. That's the part that is, yet yeah, the credit utilization, that's that's the term. There is a lot of room for people to run this up more. So I think people can keep spending for a while. Like, like I don't think, I think if a recession hits, it's not really going to hit until people just, because re- America is a big mall. That's all it is. America gets kept alive by spending. It's a perpetual motion machine of, of spending. And no matter what happens, all the government, all anybody cares about is that people keep spending. If people stop spending even for a second, this whole thing falls apart. You never really see how precarious America is that it's not a real country, that's not a real institution, that's just a giant mall until like COVID. Do you remember when COVID hit and they had those couple of days of huge stock market drops and people weren't spending and everybody panicked and they threw like so much money at people and stimulus checks and everything just to keep them spending. Like uh, people were proposing stuff like Mark Cuban was like, we should do this kind of stimulus, but force people to spend it. Like they're not allowed to pay their bills off with it. Like people were floating ideas like that. Like spending is more important than anything. Than if people are eating, than if people are um, unable to live happily, able to feed their kids, put them in school, whatever. Only thing that cares is that um, people are are spending. So people have a lot more room in the credit cards to spend. Um, there's the student loan thing that's come back into repayment. But what a lot, of, a lot of people don't know is they're not going to report to your credit bureau until next year. So you can actually not pay for this year and still be okay. It's not actually going to affect your credit until like next year. So that's like another year of stalling, st- stalling you can do. That's another element in like, you know, stall and hope I hit a lick culture. So I think that's another thing that's going to keep the full extent of how bad people are doing from really showing up the market like a lot of people are saying oh once these student loan repayments hit then the economy is the economy is going to go down the recession is going to start in earnest because that's going to be a big bill a lot of people are going to have but i think a lot of people aren't going to pay that bill they're just going to put it off they're going to read the fine print go into income driven repayment get a really low repayment or just not pay at all and just you know stall until the time comes from reporting and hope that they hit a lick between then household savings right now are really low I think they're like the lowest in 50 years right now. Like all the savings that people made during the pandemic when they were getting stimmy checks and they weren't leaving the house and spending money on anything, all the excess savings has supposedly been spent. So yeah, household household savings, the credit cards are going up, delinquencies are, are going up. And the other thing you have to figure too, to figure out how badly people had to be doing, to run up 1.08 trillion in credit card debt at a time when the average credit card rate is like 22%, that's like loan shark rates. You know, that's where you have to be to to run up credit card 
balances that much. So the savings rate is is really low. The credit card balances that are all time high. They have a lot more room to run up. So I think people are going to spend and keep the market up for a while. But I think what the government is doing with the economy, they're letting people do this, and they're hoping that you know, as a government, they they hit a lick, and that lick might be in the form of um, the inflation rate dropping, so then they can now cut the interest rates and get out of this get out of this bind have lower interest rates again that's like a trickle down bind like a trickle down lick i can't even speak tonight yeah you know they're hoping that the government hits a hits a kind of lick that can then trickle down to the population and a lot of people are betting on the same on the same lick there's a lot of people investing who are convinced it's going to be a soft landing or it's going to be a reversal of of rates you know the the today the cpi came out and you know the interest rate went down uh, a lot so a lot of people are already betting on the federal reserve to lower rates and and reverse they're betting on a soft landing and the stock market went right back up people are right back to spending they're already seeing the lick in sight it hasn't even happened yet but they're convinced yeah the economy is going to hit a lick it's going to get low interest and it's going to get low inflation lowered interest rates and then the money's going to flow and people are already having the dollar signs in their in their eyes you know yeah yeah the personal saving the personal savings rate is ridiculously ridiculously low and right now it's actually particularly harder in america like like the rest of the world is not actually stalling and wait to hit a hit a lick as much as we are um there's a headline here spending down pandemic savings isn't only in the u.s phenomenon there was an interesting article on this site called Axios that said Americans are saving less and that's great for the economy. This is the backwards thinking of capitalism and the current financial system we have where everything's a big mall. People are saving less and household savings rate is below its pre-pandemic average. But, you know, elsewhere in the world, savings rates are above the pre-pandemic average. It's only in America that people are not only spending down their money so that it's lower than the pre-pandemic average of savings, but they're also running up the credit cards. Now, what I think is the reason why I didn't just go back to the rate of savings and credit cards that it was before the pandemic is all this inflation happened and nobody wants to buy less really, unless they absolutely have to, they have to keep the same lifestyle. So what they're just doing is they're buying the same stuff, but they have less money coming in some of them, you know, from layouts or whatever, or just because their salaries didn't keep up with the rate of inflation and they're just ramping up the use of savings and ramping up the use of credit cards to uh, keep it up. But, you know, this article is basically saying, hey, you know, that's a good thing because this is what it says, willingness to spend down savings suggests a high degree of consumer confidence. And the U.S. is actually doing pretty well largely because Americans feel good enough to keep spending. That is the actual final line of this article, that um, the U.S. is doing well because Americans feel good enough to keep spending. Now, that's crazy because feel good enough means, oh, they're confident about the future. That's what this article is saying, that they're confident about the prospects. But that assumes that it's in a rational way or that it's because they're doing well. But if they were doing well, why would they be taking out more that they never at loan shark rates. We're already be spending down. Like, what does feeling good about the future mean? Like, it can't be that they have more money than ever. 
And that's why, because if that was the case, and people have told me this, people work in finance, and I'm like, so you mean like you have money, but you're choosing to take out 22% interest debt and spending down your savings, having more more delinquencies or whatever. But this is like the, this is what I mean by everybody has a stall and hit a lick mindset. So even this finance article, what is describing here by saying the US is doing well because Americans feel good enough to keep spending, it's basically taking the mindset of, the delusional mindset of I'm just going to stall, spend, and because I know I'm going to hit a lick, I'm just betting on it and formalizing it as good financial policy. That's a sign that America is doing well. That's the extent to which this mindset is just institutionalized. It's normalized. It's it's what we live by. And it's worked for a long time. So it's, um yeah. And if you do a lot of reading of mainstream finance, a lot of them are people who are, who are, who are invested. There are people who are invested in the idea that you know, stocks must always go up. They're cheerleaders of the economy. Spend, spend, spend. So you know, they're what you know you would call permabulls. They're permanent. They're permanent bulls. They're always trying to look for the bright side of everything. And you will see the craziest rationales. I saw some woman. Her name is um, Sam. She's an ex-Fed economist. Her name is Claudia Sam. I saw an interview where she said, "There's no. There's going to be no recession." Not, you know, it's going to be um, great. Nothing's going to happen. And the person was asking her, what about the fact that uh, the unemployment rate is going up and that most of the new jobs are from people getting two jobs? Like people are getting people are getting two jobs just to make ends ends meet. So to the extent that, you know, unemployment has gotten better or stayed the same, it's not because more people are working. It's because um People are doubling and tripling up on jobs, and a lot of them are bullshit jobs or low quality jobs. So the numbers, you know, on paper look good, but these aren't real full time jobs, and they aren't like one job per person. They're people taking on extra jobs. And this woman, Fed economist, serious um, um, authority, you know, she has a rule named after her called, you know, uh, Sam's Sam's rule, like you know, for predicting recessions, that's how serious she's taken. She's taken. Uh, she seriously told the person, uh, people doubling, tripling up on jobs is a good sign because it means that there's jobs out there, there's opportunities out there, and people are taking advantage of it. And she said it with a straight face. She said, "Yeah, you know, people taking out two or three jobs is is good. That means that there's a lot of." opportunities and chances for people to make money and that means that there's jobs out there to be to be gotten and i'm like these people are highly in debt savings are all-time low and they're taking out they're doing extra jobs and ruining the quality of life and working themselves into an to an early grave just so that they can keep keep up their bills and spending and and whatever and you know as long as money's being spent everything is everything is good just um, don't don't worry about it. Something good's gonna happen later. That's gonna fix everything. The recession's going to end, and everything's gonna happen. Okay. Uh, the way that people talk in the financial media and the financial news, the way they talk about the recession ending, and all the crazy delusional logic that they have for how it's going to end, what's gonna make the market go up. When you listen to it, it's the delusional logic of that regular Joe who was just running up his credit card bills or that 
on the ground scammer who's just taking money from people. You know, both of them have no idea how they're going to pay it back, but they both have this highly dubious, speculative, delusional pie in the sky lick that's coming that's going to um, bail them out or at least allow them to stall until the, until the next lick. And look, this is a highly educated macroeconomist you know like uh this is what i mean when i say it's boiled in from the top people can't help being this way because all their role models everybody the place they work for is probably stalling and hitting a lick you know our government our economists our financial institutions this is just the american way it's particularly bad in america i feel like the pandemic really ratcheted up this thinking more than any other time in our history. I think we've always had this mindset. We've always been prone to this weakness of character and reality testing, but this is a new level. The pandemic just unlocked something in us. And on YouTube, it's insane. The amount of people being busted as scammers for selling all types of courses. Like basically at this point, the internet has reduced the word entrepreneur to just a synonym for scammer. Like it's lost all its reputable aspects. Like we see someone, someone say entrepreneur, it's like run for the hills. Cause that person is probably gonna try to scam me with some fake courses and eBooks and discords or, or whatever. And this type of stall and hit a lick mindset, I think is why literal gambling has been through the roof. I don't know if you guys have, have noticed cause a lot of people, they're not just, hoping to hit a lick they've put themselves in positions where they need a lick like it's not even an option anymore they can't just hope for the straight and narrow because they've put themselves in too much of a hole but also they have to buy fancy stuff to sell the next lick to look you know like a big shot you know what i mean i don't know if you've noticed but you know how much gambling is happening with on as online betting is surging I was looking at how good online gambling is doing and it's growing like crazy. And with all the like sports books and the things you could do on your phone, like when I go online and I look at people talking on social media about sports and NBA, there are so many young kids and people in college and all ages complaining about players and how they ruin their gambling. And, you know, you have all these sports book people gambling, like it's so normalized now to gamble, like DraftKings expects online gambling to reach $30 billion by 2028. Super Bowl and casinos, how, how the football event affects the gambling industry. They're talking about how, you know, the connection between football gambling is like crazy out of control. United Kingdom leads the way in Europe's booming online gambling market. It talks about how crazy the gambling in, in Europe has, has gotten uh, 63% of gamblers now prefer online gambling over offline. Uh, by 2028, it's going to hit record levels in, in Europe as well. And this kind of shows like how many people are looking every day on every level to hit, to hit a lick. And I bet a lot of these people are doing it because they kind of they kind of need to. I bet a lot of people in their lives are overextended and they're not just hoping for some extra spending money like I think a lot of people out there right now are thinking, if one of these licks doesn't hit, I don't know what I'm going to do in the next couple of years. I don't know how long I can keep stalling and spending. But, you know, I I can't cut anything. I can't get rid of my car because I, I got to have this car. I got to look a certain way. I got to dress a certain way. I have to go out a certain amount. I have to go on dates. I have to do this and that. Here's another, here's another 
Australia urged to ban online gambling ads to curb growing addiction. Yeah, Australia is trying to curb the advertisers because uh, it's been going so crazy. But that, that so many only generally profitable spaces online have been the gambling sites. Online gambling has millions of young Africans battling addiction. UN warns of growing money laundering and shadow banking from online casinos. Yeah, but sports betting, the FanDuel, oh my God, it's out of control. The battle, there's an article here in Black Enterprise, not for the faint of heart, the battle for supremacy in the booming U.S. sports betting market. It's uh, it's now legal in 35 states and FanDuel and DraftKings have 80% of the sports betting market and other people are trying to get into the game, but uh, they're all trying to get in because it's, that's how much is growing. People don't rush to get into a declining into a declining market. DraftKings reported a 57% increase in quarterly revenue in October. 57% increase in revenue. That's in insane. Crypto is going to come back soon. People are already starting to justify reinvesting in crypto because uh, BlackRock is about to offer some crypto-related EFTs. I'm oh, sorry, ETFs. These basically exchange-traded funds. And people have been using that as an excuse to you know, jump back into crypto. Like uh, People thought, thought that was dead. But the need, not even just the desire, the need to gamble and hope to hit a lick is too strong for crypto to stay down. And I think you know a lot of people cheering the demise of crypto, I think it's premature. As long, once the Sam Bankman frees and all those people kind of fade from recent memory, it's going to jump up. But internet sports... Gambling is going to reach 193 billion by 2031. Uh, and it says tech savvy millennials and high spending boomers propel growth in online gambling market. I wonder why Gen X is not involved in that. I don't know. Reports called US online gambling market focus insights 2023 to 2028, if anybody wants to uh, find the report. But yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. I started finding out about how good these companies are doing when I was researching something about Dave Portnoy and Barstool Sports. That company was getting into uh, sports betting and that's kind of, they have their own sports book. It's called Barstool Sports Book and they were, they were bought by a betting company. It's, 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 very, it's very weird, but basically, um, but uh, ESPN just launched a sports book as well. And this is a company called Penn. They were working, they were working with, um, Barstool to create this create the sports sports books. So so basically, Penn Entertainment bought Barstool and was going to um, create some kind of betting company with them. Now ESPN announced it forged a deal with Penn Entertainment, the same ones who had bought and then divested themselves of uh, Barstool Sports to license its brand as a sports book. So even ESPN with the Disney money is seeing that this, there's too much money in this to um, pass it up. They can't, they can't pass it up. Yeah. So, so it's pretty, it's pretty crazy how people are all chasing this and it's, and I just think there's going to be more of it to come. And I think there is a chance there won't be a recession. Like I think, you know, maybe that lick will be hit. Maybe something will happen that will allow people to kind of stall for a little while and put off paying the piper, you know, maybe some quantitative easing will happen. You know, rich people will buy enough stocks to float the market up if they get excited enough by some of the data. I mean, I, I don't know, something, something could happen. But I feel like the longer that it takes for life with that mindset to fall apart, the worst the fall is going to be. Like, you know, if Cesar Pena got busted in 2019, 2020, 
the fallout would have been way less than what happened when he's busted in 2023. And if he got busted in 2030, God only knows what kind of damage that would be. And we have like um, a good 15 years of stalling, spending, and just stalling until the next lick. And I think the longer it takes for us to actually pay the piper, I think the uh, worst is going to be when it when it happens. But I think there's enough bullshit spending out there left to do. There's enough money floating around that we can keep this cycle going on for a really long time. You know, I don't think it has to come anytime soon. Like there are a lot of um, great economists and people with a great track record, like uh, Michael Burry, the guy from the big short who predicted the, la- who predicted the 2008 fall. We've been predicting recession and a big crash for a while now and it's not been happening and the permabulls have been making fun of him for like a long time and saying oh he's a permable you know a stop clock is right twice a day this guy's always and i think the problem isn't that he's wrong about how fucked the economy is i don't think he's wrong about all the fundamentals i think he his problem is he underestimated the level of delusional stall keep spending keep fronting keep flossing until you hit a lick to hold you over for the next lick. The extent to which that mindset is in, is ingrained. People are going to run out of not just money, but access to every piece of debt they have. They got to run out of their parents' money. I think we can, we have a lot of room. There's a lot of home equity still out there, not tapped. There's a lot of unused credit card space, not tapped. There's Fed money that hasn't been quantitatively eased yet that, you know, can still come into play. There's a couple of interest rate lowerings that might happen at some point that will, you know, create a bunch of cheap loans out there that can happen. I think this thing has legs, it has, it has room to run, but I'm just scared of what's going to happen to us as a culture, as a society, the more it gets normalized at every level. So you just live your life for the next lick. And yeah, just something I was thinking about. It's uh, I know it might be an odd topic, but it's something I'm seeing everywhere. And just keep looking around. You'll see a ton of examples. You'll see it in your workplace. You might be living that life now. It's a high anxiety, high stress way to live. And with every individual and institution and the entire country is living that way. I think it's a, it's a powder keg. And we'll see what happens. Everyone, be good. We'll talk soon.